0: Hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com or shoot him a call at 773-340-1286. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bolm. I am your host. And if it is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 132. And my guest this week is Rob Harvilla. He is the host of the incredible podcast, Actually, my favorite podcast, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. If you have not listened to that show, you need to remedy that right away. Basically, the setup of the show is right there in the title, but he chooses a song, gives you a monologue, and then brings on a guest to talk about it. Um, We've had a lot of similar guests, which is the reason it gave me confidence to reach out to Rob to see if he'd be down to talk. Some crossover guests include Chris Ryan, who was kind enough to actually set this up. He did the Pavement episode, Dan Ozzy, who did the Blink-182 episode, Yasi Salek, who actually was recently on, who did the Dave Matthews Band and also whole episodes, and Ian Cohen, who did the Sunny Day Real Estate episode. Also, in case you were wondering, he surpassed 60 songs. He actually made it to 90 songs and kept the title the same, because why make things more confusing? And now he just recently announced he's doing another 30 songs. So, episode 90 just happened a couple weeks ago. It was De La Soul, and the show will return in May. So, Rob was awesome enough to come on, talk to me, let me basically gush to him about how much I love his show. We get into a lot of really fun stuff. So, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did having it. Uh, Before we get there, though, I want to let you know that there is a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash Patreon where Rob answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can hear that, plus access all the other bonus episodes. I do a radio show every other Monday here on the platform, but you get two extra of those a month, so there's bonus radio hours, there's a Discord channel, I run contests, we all hang out, talk records, talk everything. It's a lot of fun. I'd really appreciate your support. So once again, that is patreon.com slash Patreon. And hey, if it's your first time here and you enjoy this, subscribe to the show, Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, and leaving a positive rating and review. These things help. These things make me happy. And last but not least, if you want to shoot me an email, you can hit me at the first ever mailbag at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, etc., one of these days I'm going to do a mailbag episode, so uh, maybe it'll have an appearance there. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Rob Harvilla. <laughs> Rob Harvilla, this is uh, for me, this is one of the most exciting uh, interviews I think I've, I've had on the show. This is episode 132, I believe. And uh, if anyone has been an earshot Jeez. of me for the last uh, probably year, I've, uh, all I talk to them about is your show. So thank you so much for coming on and giving me, uh, giving me some time. <laughs>
1: holy shit dude that's that's very flattering i'm thrilled to be here i love your band i i it's it's funny it's right there on the logo of your show but it only occurred to me recently that you are a hard times podcast and i i love the hard times so much i am sent links to hard times articles you know that that people feel will resonate with me very often and they always do resonate with me i love that site so much yeah there's, so it's there's great to be th- here man it's an honor Oh, I
0: appreciate it. Yeah, there's sometimes there's a such a hyper specific bit that they write that it's like, wow, I didn't <laughs> think anyone else would have ever thought of that. Um, but yeah, they're, they've been really kind. And they're like the parent company that basically, uh, you know, lets me do this. So uh, it's it's a good relationship, which is nice.
1: Um, awesome. 132 episodes, man, that is impressive.
0: It's flown by. It's flown (laughs) by. It's flown by. It's. Do you deal? Because I mean, you, you, with your show, you, you've taken breaks, and in those breaks, is it like for you to then prep for the next amount, or is it like, oh, I needed just a break to not do this show for a while and focus on other things?
1: A little bit of both. There's definitely the impulse to just lie face down on the floor, you know, for a week or two, which I never quite get around to doing. But yeah, there is, there is a sense, as my wife would say, of refilling the well. Right. You know, I just I feel pretty frazzled, you know, at the end of, say, like a 15 straight week run, you know, on the show. And so it's it's good to have some time off. I should, you know, I have two months off now and I sh- like halfway through it, I should start prepping again, bank some episodes. So I'm not going week to week. So it's not this hair raising white knuckle, you know, experience when the show starts back up. You know, we'll see if I actually do that. There's often a tension between, you know, planning ahead and just taking a break until the last possible moment. But yeah, breaks are super nice. How long, how long has it taken you to get to 132 episodes?
0: So yeah, I've been, to, you know, I started the show when my band finished recording our last record, which was 2020. And it was one of those things where Shit. it was like mid pandemic. And I was like, what do I do with my life? There you go. Like, like I, this the mm-hmm. record's not going to come out for like nine months. And like, I, what I want, I miss talking yeah. to people. So hmm. but the hardest part for me has been managing it on the road where it's like of I course. Ba- I'll bank the episodes but then I have to do the intros and the outros on the road and that's the part that gets really stressful because there's no quiet place ever <laughs> ever so <laughs> so often yes, I'm like everybody shut up yeah I'm, I'm doing like, my oh. podcast yeah and yeah. I get super anxious about like doing it in front of other people too so I'm I'm yeah, often just sitting yeah, in yeah. the cold van in you know Cleveland, uh, shall we say, and just uh ah yes yeah.
1: yes, very cold van yeah. there I
0: imagine That's exactly funny. outside of the grog shop or something
1: ah uh, <laughs> yes, excellent, excellent <laughs> venue, yes, so you're <laughs>
0: from, from what I've taken from the show, are you you're born raised Cleveland
1: uh yes, I was born in Cleveland, my family moved to suburbs of st louis missouri when i was a kid and so i was eight nine or ten then we moved back to the suburbs of cleveland you know about a half hour south it's where i went to high school you know my parents still live there i still go back there to see them very often you know i've lived i started out my you know professionally in columbus ohio which is about two hours south of cleveland I lived in Oakland for a while, lived in New York City for a while. Now I'm back in Columbus, you know, so I'm sort of a lifelong Ohioan with like pit stops variously, you know, but it does, it feels born and raised at this point.
0: Do you, uh, did you ever have an interest in doing Los Angeles? Did you ever try it or like come down here and say, this isn't for me. And I'm not going to be offended by that answer.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, my wife and I, Pretty much knew we'd always end up back in Ohio when we wanted to have kids, right? You know, we were living in New York City, you know, for just under five years, you know, and she was pregnant. It's like we can't have a kid here; we can't afford it, you know. And that the same deal with Oakland, obviously, you know. Even the difference between Oakland in 2003 and 2011 was profound, you know, rent-wise, for starters. I, my, my brother-in-law and his family live in Santa Monica. You know, oh, okay. So for COVID reasons, we haven't been out in a while, but we get out to L.A. used to anyway, you know, often enough. I can't say I ever considered living there, but that's sort of I can't separate that from like family stuff. Right. Like I can't imagine raising kids in L.A. You know, of course, many of my friends are doing it. But I just we always it's Ohio is always looming in our travels as like the place we knew we would return to. You know, so I could just mow a lawn, you know, and just mind my own business and be able to afford it.
0: Absolutely, it's funny. I don't know if you ever have followed the or have come across uh, the account Cheap Old Houses. I don't know if you've ever seen this Mm. Instagram account, but anyway, it's like it's the most amazing. It's you know, it's basically just like, oh, look at all of these incredible houses that are like ninety thousand dollars or like one hundred twenty thousand dollars, and all of the best ones are always in Ohio. All of them. So right, I'm always yeah. just like, one of these days, I'm just gonna. That's probably where I'm
1: gonna you're end gonna, up because there's you're no way I'm be ever. Out here? Yeah, I'm never gonna own a home here.
0: You know, it's just like literally
1: impossible. No, uh, it's the, the weather's fine. Come, come on by. You know, okay. it's it's mostly it's okay. There are drawbacks. <laughs> you know, but many many fine fast food restaurants.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, the first question I usually ask uh, musicians or music writers or, or anything of like that is, uh, when you were growing up, I, I mean, you talk about so much of the music that you were around and loved as a kid, but I was curious if there was like a specific thing that was the first thing that you remember connecting with that felt like it was yours. Maybe not something that was being played in the house by your parents, but something that like mm-hmm. you found and like, can maybe give you a sense of your own identity.
1: No, I was thinking about this for sure. And I, I settled on the Holy Trinity of Def Leppard, Bon Jovi and Guns and Roses. Okay. Right. I yeah. Okay. So I'm like, Eight, nine, ten years old, you know it's the late '80s. You know, I I think I've said before, like my Joker origin story is when I asked my parents for uh, Appetite for Destruction by Guns and Roses, but they wouldn't get it for me, and instead they gave me New Jersey by Bon Jovi, which I loved very much and still do. Like I that's that I that was that was fine, that worked out great, right? But I just I growing up, you know. Watching Guns N' Roses, admiring them from afar, like through MTV or whatever, before I could own the record, you know, listening to Bon Jovi and Def Leppard, right? Hysteria, pour some sugar on me. You know, that was was my shit when I was a preteen, you know, and I would say that I think that's the first thing that like my parents or my mom in particular, wasn't guiding, like my mom's taste, you know, we we used to listen to music in the car all the time. My parents record collection was huge for me growing up. And there's, you know, stuff like the cars, like the cars is the first band I ever loved. And that was their record, right? Like they introduced me to them. And I just latched onto them with far more intensity than, you know, more love than they had for the cars. But I I do think that, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, GNR are the first time that like, I'm making my own decisions, you know, and, and pretty good decisions, I think. And yeah, I, I, that's reasonable taste for yeah. a nine year old in the say. heartland i'd like to thank you thank you thank you for validating
0: me did uh did you ever have any sort of like i mean you mentioned the guns and roses thing with your with your parents maybe not not being the most psyched on it did you ever have to go through like the <laughs> hiding the the uh the artwork Ooh. from your folks so you so they wouldn't read the lyrics or 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 did they kind of give you free reign of that <sighs> stuff just kept it away from you or like keep it away from them they
1: didn't do- Right. No, I I'm, let me think about that. You know, like they they wouldn't let me and this is a reasonable position just to be clear. They wouldn't let me have appetite for destruction. Right. And I support that now, especially as a parent myself of of, of kids. Um, Gosh, did I ever have to hide anything? I'm sure there was stuff that I had on like, you know, copied on blank tapes. Right. You know, like it's it's but I, I I'm trying to think of anything in that vein. The cassettes, like the next wave of stuff that was mine, the cassettes that I have that, you know, they weren't that into were like MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice, CNC Music Factory, and Technotronic, right? Like I got big into like super cheese ball 90s, like early 90s pop, you know, and that's not stuff you have to hide sure. from your parents per se. Like they just don't want anything to deal with. They don't don't <laughs> they don't want anything to do with it, right? I right, so I don't think I'm trying to I don't have a conscious memory of having like contraband in that way you know i'm i I don't think i ever even owned the guns and roses cd i'm sure like by like my teen actual teenage years you've been like ah it's too late like do whatever you want but i i don't recall you know i what would happen is i'd be watching mtv right and it would be like the video for cold hearted by paula abdul where it's like the it's like they're in a dance studio and everyone's like crawling all over each other and my mom would just walk in and look at it and go ah and just turn the TV off, you know that's that's how censorship worked in our house. You know it was it was it was swift and benevolent. You know and it was over. But right. no, I I've, um, i I'd love to be able to tell you that like you know I had like a like a floor beneath the floorboards were like all my ghetto boys tapes or whatever. But I you know I was I was too I was too sweet and Christian you know a i feel it boy for that i guess Thank
0: i you. had so i've told this story i forget if it was on this show or maybe on someone else's show but i i specifically remember getting use your illusion 2, i think it was mm. and i had the so my move as a very mischievous kid was i'd have my boom box out in front of me in my living or in my bedroom and i would put out a cassette that was like the case of a cassette that was parent-friendly but I'd have the user yes. illusion tape and the headphones going, and the tape hidden oh. under my bed. So
1: look out for that oh, move he's with to Steely Dan. That that's <laughs> a great move. It was lies, right? Lies was the tape, the GNR tape that was really contraband, right? Because there was like nudity in it. There was like a oh. naked lady in
0: it, and sure. also there was
1: like super racist and homophobic super, yeah. thoughts in it, but like that. Yeah, that was the one. That was the one that I definitely could not have or even sneak into the house like under that kind of cover. I did not have the balls to even attempt that sort of thing. But that's a genius move, absolutely.
0: Do you uh <laughs> you know it's also kind of I I feel like it's worth mentioning cuz you mentioned the the next wave of music you got into. Uh I, there was an episode of the show where I did like a role reverse where I had like one of my best friends ask me a lot of the same questions. And one of the things that I was thinking about was like when I was going through it was like how close some of that stuff really was to where like 1990 and 1991. I like you because you and I are actually it's close enough in age where it's like there was hmm. the wave of like loving. At the same time, I loved TLC, like uh, ooh, on the TLC mm-hmm. tip oh, on the TLC tip and like, um, yeah. definitely uh another bad creation crisscross
1: oh yes Aisha oh Aisha is so good
0: yeah and it's like so close to also (laughs) right when all the grunge stuff is about to start so it's like Mm -hmm, there's that funny mm -hmm. freedom point when you're like wait I'm I was liking all of that stuff at the same time but I didn't remember having those things playing back to back does that does that go in your brain at all like is have you thought about that stuff at all how close some of that those records were
1: No, I agree completely. And it's especially prevalent at the, at at that time you say, right. Like at the very beginning, like groove is in the heart and smells like teen spirit being like, however, chronologically far apart, like months, you know? Right. And like, I loved both those songs. They were both like equally, not equally influential, but right. Like I know (laughs) what you're saying. I loved them both. They made sense to me. They were both equally for a time feeding into my identity and it's, that, that time, you also get like Enigma, right? You get Enya, you get stuff like that. Like it's There, there was a freewheeling sort of super chaotic aspects to pop at that specific moment, at like the pre-Nevermind moment, you know, and from Nevermind forward, you know, like that's the rise of grunge and alternative rock, you know, and that's when I'm going into junior high, early high school and like... Also, my thinking is a lot more stratified and what's cool to like and what's not cool to like and all that shit. Like it's it's wonderful in retrospect that I was the exact right age to appreciate that 1990, 91 moment where pop, where where pop could be anything and everything. And there was no unifying theme. Like it was very discordant, these songs with each other, but you could love them all and you didn't have to feel bad about it. And you could hear it all on the radio, you know, whenever you wanted.
0: That's exactly it. Yeah. It's, and also just, you know, I think it's a, it's, it says a lot to how time moved so dramatically differently back then to where (laughs) all of, you know, like these big monumental moments happen and you're like, oh my God, but that was only like two months apart. I got to tell you that one of the craziest things time-wise, it really blew my mind was, um, A long time ago i did like a artist on artist thing for alternative press where i interviewed jonathan davis of corn and and when i was doing research for that i was blown away by like when they had their big breakouts i mean they had you know the first two records which were obviously popular in their own way but then they put out follow Mm. the leader which was like the trl popular record got the
1: life right got the
0: life exactly freak on a leash all of that so like I was when yes. I was doing the 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 research I was like wait a minute the record after that is called issues and it came out one year later one like <laughs> 1999 I'm like you would th- I mean I'm so used to we're also used to like a Someone puts out a hit record, then they tour on it for two years, three years, or whatever. But like they didn't yeah. do any of that. They probably did one US tour and then all of a sudden now they're doing the follow up record, which is like so different from how yeah. things are now. You know, just again, it's a, it's a, how time moves is shocking to me now, you know?
1: Yeah, and corn on TRL is just, I know they were huge on TRL, like absolutely huge, but it's just so funny to think of them there. That's just not how my brain divides that era, right? Like TRL was where the, the boy bands were. Right. Woodstock 99 was where all the rock stars who hated the boy bands, right? But it was all, it was mixing together even then, you know, at the beginning of the decade and the end of the decade, you have these especially chaotic confluences.
0: Absolutely. Do you remember the uh, the first album that you bought with your own money? That might be a tough question, but but uh, yeah, I was curious if you knew. <sighs>
1: yeah, okay. So, I don't think any of the Def Leppard troika was my own money. I'm unclear on MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice, CNC Music <laughs> Factory, etc. Those may have been; those were all cassette tapes. Those were all; those might have been allowance deals. They might not have been. The first CD I ever owned was the Spin Doctors pocket full of kryptonite uh i'm not i don't quite remember if i bought that with my own money or it was a it was an early columbia house raid type situation i guess like i think i think it was my own money my first three cds were spin doctors concrete blondes uh bloodletting and 10 pearl jams 10 those are and i don't remember the fourth like i can i can reel off you know like 20 out of the next 50 or whatever but those those first three are sort of burned into my head you know that progression and so it's the the just the the holiest moment of getting your cd player right like you know your stereo with the tape decks you know and the radio and then the cd player up top you know and it's i you subscribe to columbia house and you sort of join the modern age whenever (laughs) that is 91 92 93 like that's the big moment right and so the, the 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 honest answer is probably just the spin doctors which i stand by that that it holds up that record yeah. holds up
0: it, what, uh, little miss can't be wrong and and two princes there you go yeah. that was a yeah. one that yeah. was
1: little miss can't be wrong is why i bought that record and it it was a good idea two princes how could you want him when you know you could have me it's 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 a deeper cut but i i dig it yeah absolutely
0: there was just a <laughs> soundtrack you might know what this is. There was just a soundtrack that I was researching that has spin doctors covering Credence Clearwater. And I was
1: oh, really
0: shocked by this. Oh, my God. This is going to drive me crazy. I'll figure it out after. Is but, it
1: Fortunate Son? What did they cover? Uh, It's on. Have you okay. ever seen The Rain? Yes. The
0: Philadelphia soundtrack. That's What? what? Yes. On the <laughs> Philadelphia. Because <laughs> I'm watching. I hadn't seen Philadelphia. That's since the 90s and it oh can't, you know God. i open up a streaming service at 2 a.m and of course you put on philadelphia and i
1: <laughs> yeah as, as one does
0: and i put it on and then i was like i was like this there's like a bar scene and i'm hearing this credence cover and i'm like who the fuck is this and then i looked it up and i was like of all the bands of all of the bands this is the last choice i would have assumed it's it's chaotic that is
1: totally very bizarre what song is it
0: have you seen the rain
1: oh my god have you ever seen the
0: rain yeah yeah
1: that's that's phenomenal that's just <laughs> phenomenal
0: yeah there is the. that's a choice that's a hard swing and i had uh, a choice yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh also i was curious you know what's funny I was i was curious when thinking about the columbia house aspect of things with the first cds as you were mentioning in the first wave of the columbia house cd thing were they the big box or was it just the regular jewel case do you remember
1: I think that by the time I was buying CDs, we were out of long boxes. Yeah. I certainly remember long boxes, like coveting them, and I remember like MTV reports on like whoever was trying to. Ba- it was REM, I think, like one of the first big bands. Is like you got to stop fucking making long boxes, right? Like I, I, in my, I, my, I hope I'm not wrong about this, but like
0: that I was like trying that. to think
1: of who finally. It does sound like them, right? For like green or out of time or whatever. I I remember seeing long boxes in the stores, but I don't remember like buying them or like having, like I'm sort of aware anecdotally that like opening them was quite challenging, but I don't have a memory of my doing it myself. I think I was just late enough to CDs to be in the actual jewel box era, right? But I remember long boxes very well
0: yeah like i don't know that i ever owned one to be honest with you because maybe they were a little more expensive yeah. too like when the you know it's like when laser hmm. discs come out they're like hyper expensive
1: it's a lot of cardboard yeah yeah
0: how would you do you keep the <laughs> did, were you keeping the long box like do you file that away or is it just like it's the all the packaging and then you get the jewel case inside
1: i don't remember i don't know i can't i don't remember ever seeing like a pristine long box in anyone's home or like bedroom <laughs> that's or a, anything. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm sure it's technically possible to like surgically remove the CD from that pa- But I think for the vast majority of people, yeah, it was just super cumbersome packaging. For yeah, sure. That's yeah. a wild could,
0: era. Yeah. yeah. That feels like very wasteful. <laughs> let's, let's just say that. Um, so, <laughs> it's a different so, era. Yeah. Yeah. So uh you know you've talked you've talked on the show on your show about uh about being in bands and playing music and stuff like that. So I was curious when you started uh was good, was actually guitar your first instrument or did your parents make you play piano or anything like that?
1: I played piano as a kid a little bit. I had like a Casio keyboard. You know, like just it's like a couple octaves, right? And it had like the demo, you know, you hit the demo button, it would just like blast you with like circus music. And You'd be like, I don't have to do anything like that. You yeah. Know, but yeah. I, with all the different sounds, like, like here's a trumpet, like, eh, like that sort of thing. I remember like taking piano lessons on that, you know, in the mid 80s or whatever. You know, I played piano, I took piano lessons until like early high school, you know, or junior high or so. I messed around a little bit, but I took guitar lessons like middle of high school, end of high school. You know, for not very long in the end, for like six months or so. Um, the first band I ever played in, I played bass. Like, my friend just handed me a bass. He was like, will you be in this band? I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, me and you talking about bands just doesn't do it for me, man. I Like, your band and my bands, like, this is, I'm mega embarrassed, right? But I, I, I played bass in a few bands in very late high school and then through college. You know, like four or five bands total. You know like maybe 10 to 15 you know very modest shows total i had a, i was in a band that opened for blessed union of souls you remember those dudes uh i believe he likes she likes me for me i you know that, they, they were a big deal We we opened for them at like a college. Yeah. You, you, you catch up on those guys. I wonder if they were on the Philadelphia soundtrack. Like that's, that's (laughs) a non-zero possibility. Yeah. I just, I, I, I fucked around mostly on bass in bands and I had like a very unfortunate, but lovely uh, acoustic guitar open mic night phase. In college, you know, that I don't think any, you know, video or audio survives of that. And that's to everyone's benefit. But yeah, I just sort of messed around. But by the end of college, you know, I I couldn't, I didn't do it anymore. I couldn't justify it.
0: Well, firstly, let me just say that uh, one does not, uh, does not start a musical career and have the best thing that they do. Uh, So when you're saying you're embarrassed to talk to me about it, I have, uh, I have a long history of very embarrassing junior high high school oh uh, okay sure oh so yeah i, I didn't start touche until i was 25 so you know what I'm okay saying? there you go
1: see that's i if i would have if i would have stuck with it i definitely would have would have started a band as, as great as touche you know by the time i was 25 there's
0: no that's way. very kind of you. Now, what you... was the name
1: of your first band I... oh god <laughs> okay. was... so so yeah
0: yeah uh my first band <laughs> strap in strap in are you ready
1: yes Oh as, that was <laughs> as, as, No, it's not, not strapped was... in. It's not I'm okay, telling you to strap in. Though. Okay. Yeah. A bunch okay. of
0: a bunch of uh, a, a bunch of young, dumb white kids in uh in Burbank, oh, California no. had the balls to name our band Victim of Atrocity.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes.
0: It's just like what a... Was your logo
1: did you have a logo and was it pointy? Like I can see, like the V, like like a very sharp,
0: yeah, cool it was, looking V. Well, because when you're doing that, the <laughs> the most important thing in your band is doing the logo. It's not writing songs. Absolutely, it's, yeah. For the it's,
1: Trapper it's, Keeper. Yeah, that's right. 1, yeah,
0: thousand percent. Yeah, and uh, we definitely did, We definitely did a talent show where we uh, covered corn.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, I all was, right.
0: Definitely in standard tuning and a Stratocaster. So you can know, only Wow. Yeah. You
1: only, yeah. You can
0: only imagine how bad this is. I was wearing an Adidas jumpsuit. So
1: Yes, you were. Of course so you were.
0: Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Rob villain.
1: Strap in, yeah, absolutely.
0: So uh all that being said we're all about we're all about embarrassment here we're all about showing our true colors of you know um but no that's i mean all of that sounds awesome do what do you remember uh, or not do you remember um even in this day and age like you know you having the the open mic phase being you know uh, confident as a as someone who can sing and play guitar do you by yourself these days like i'm just out of, out of curiosity like do you ever write songs for yourself just for fun
1: No, I I probably should. You know, I have a fundamental sort of embarrassment about doing that even alone, right? Which is not healthy, you know, but like I still have the guitar, right? I still have the bass, you know, there's a piano right outside. You know, my sons mess around a little bit and I try and encourage that. But like, I would be a better and healthier person if I could just, if I could do that because I always wanted to do that, right? You know, I wanted to be a rock star when I was growing up, you know, like everyone did, or I thought everyone did. You know, and so I, it's, you know i wrote a handful of songs in college you know and i cringe to recall them now but as you say like you do that you know from junior high to 25 and by the time you're 25 maybe you're in, you're in a band you're proud of you know like that's how it works like you have to get over that initial sort of cringe factor and you have to believe in yourself enough to just keep going you know and I stopped and I you know it's it's not you know I'm not beating myself up over it but like it would be cooler if I did but I don't
0: (laughs) well I'm sure you also I mean regard regardless of how you know maybe you feel about stuff reflecting back on it with embarrassment or, or whatever it is like I'm sure you had moments though when you played shows when you were a kid where you were like this is exciting this feels really
1: good Oh, man, it was phenomenal. I can remember rehearsing, right? Like, just, I don't think I was ever, was I ever in a physical garage? I don't think I was. So these are all basements, right? But, like, I remember the first time I played with, like, my first band, right? And I'm just playing a bass, you know, which I've never played before. And I don't know what I'm doing, but it was thrilling. It was thrilling beyond anything I'd ever felt before you know, or since in a certain way, like just that elation, that euphoria. It's like, I am making this music. Like we are making these sounds that we're hearing right now. Like that's, it was just a wild notion to me at 18, 19, whatever I was, you know, and, and playing yeah. open mic nights, you know, that's fundamentally, you know, sort of doofy, honestly, but like, it was also cool, man. It was, you know, I, I had a good time. I remember it fondly and there is like, you know, I, I am expressing myself artistically. Like there's just, there's a mindset as you say when you're on stage doing that even if you're terrified even if you're inept you know that you can't get really out of anything else you know that it's still precious to me for that reason
0: yeah sure sure absolutely and it's all it's all things you grow from too you know like i'm sure the open mic night led you to feeling confident talking into a microphone as a podcaster you know what i'm saying <laughs> like like there's you have you have to you have to like get over so many like self-critical things when, when uh, it's cause it's all performative mm-hmm. in one way or another. Right. You know?
1: It is. There's like a 20 year gap between those two things happening, but you're right. You know, it's, I, i never made that connection, but that connection makes, makes perfect sense.
0: This podcast is presented by distro kid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hardtimes. When it came to, uh, when did music writing come into your life? I was curious, like, was there a speci- was there any writers for any of the music magazines that you were excited about as a kid that like maybe you connected with, or was it just sort of like music magazines period that you connected with?
1: It was the magazines themselves, you know, writing about music is what I always wanted to do as a job, right? I applied to one college, you know, Ohio university because I was living in Ohio and it was a great journalism school. Right. Like it's it's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And so Rolling Stone, like the answer is Rolling Stone, right? You know, which I subscribed to when I was what, a sophomore junior in high school. You know, I think I started reading it in my orthodontist's office. I think one of the first record reviews I ever read in Rolling Stone was like a double review of Bon Jovi's New Jersey and metallica's and justice for all and the reviewer is like i don't know if there's really any difference between these two bands And i was like oh my god like I, that's the first and i was in an orthodontist's office reading this uh i think those were the two records but those are definitely the two bands so it was rolling stone to start you know i go off to college majoring in ma- magazine journalism i want to write for rolling stone that's what i want to do you know, for a living, you know, that's where I get into spin, of course, you know, I, I fall hard for spin magazine, I'm a college radio guy now, you know, built to spill, etc. But no, in music writing, you know, from the time I was 1415, like that's, I, I devoured it, you know, that's what I wanted to do with my life, you know, that somehow is what I did what I'm doing with my life, you know, that's, that's what I always wanted
0: out of curiosity you know i've never thought about this but i'd be curious to hear your take on it so like as a devout rolling stone person at first and then spin comes into your life like were you did you see the difference in those magazines because like i i when i think about those for me so much of that music magazine stuff was like mostly like oh i'm so excited this person's on the cover oh look at these cool photos you know like I'll read some articles here and there, but like, I wasn't like digesting the entire thing, but I was curious, like, did you see the difference between the writing style of those magazines? And did one start to appeal to you more than the other, or do they sort of stay wholly in their own
1: sort of ways? It's a really good question. Let me think here. I mean, I, the first issue of Rolling Stone I ever got was Eddie Van Halen was on the cover. Um, you know, and so I think I always understood Rolling Stone as sort of, you know, we wouldn't have called it classic rock then, but like, it's like more of the mainstream rock thing, you know, and why I I gravitated towards spin in college because, you know, there were cooler people on the cover, which means what, like, I, I, like Bjork Oasis, you know, there's plenty of crossover with Rolling Stone, but like, I, I knew enough to know that like Rolling Stone would cover Eric Clapton, Whereas spin probably would not. That's right. Fair, and again, I and and I devoured both those magazines, but it wasn't individual writers. But I think in retrospect, you know, the first music writers who I ever really gravitated toward style-wise were spin people. You know, Chuck Klosterman was starting up around that time, Charles Aaron, Alex Papadimus, you know, Karen Gans was at spin at first, you know, that. And that's like late 90s moving into the 2000s, you know, but that that's a more freewheeling, a more creative, a more sardonic, you know, a cooler style of writing, you know, and I still like Rolling Stone and I still love Rolling Stone for what it is. But, you know, I do think Spin strategically was, you know, the less stodgy, you know, we like Corner Shop, you know, as well as Nirvana you know, type operation, you know, there's a lot of blending there, but that's, that's what drew me to spin, you know, and I I remember Blender fondly, like, I don't remember exactly the years Blender was around, but like that style of writing, like, was like very funny, you know, obviously sort of spinning off from, from the Maxim universe, like that, that sort of more mad magazine approach also appealed to me at the time like it was funny in a way that i wanted to be funny you know i did internalize both what made all these magazines like basically the same and covering the same people you know there's there's not a it's not night and day stylistically or in terms of what they covered, but it sure seems like it is you know it does seem like a bon jovi metallica split you know whatever when you're 19 20 whatever
0: yeah for sure did uh I mean, this is a huge fast forward question, but like, you know, obviously you've had, uh, I believe you've had Chuck Closeman on your show. I believe he was one of the guests at one point. Um, like over time when you all of a sudden now have relationships with a lot of these writers, did that, was that something that sort of blew your mind getting into this business?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's relationships is a funny word, right? Like I, I have a very, I have a vivid and very strange memory when I moved in New York city in 2006 know i moved there to take a job at the village voice you know the big alt weekly you know that that that, it, it either doesn't exist or it exists now in like a very weird and uncomfortable form but like i moved in new york city right and i find myself on a riverboat in the hudson river like going around i don't remember if it went around the statue of liberty or what but like Chuck Colsterman's there. Charles Aaron and his wife are there. Like I'm hanging around with these cool spin people who I've been reading and admiring for years. And there's a cover band. I believe they were a German cover band called Booga Sugar. Uh, I think that's B-O-O-G-A-S-U-G-A. And like, I'm trying to remember what their covers were. I want to say like ABBA and stuff, like more like top 40, like. Okay. Sure. Type stuff, yeah. but like it's it's like one of those very funny, like idyllic and also ironic, but also like cool, but also not cool at all moments. You know where I am as like that—that's sort of what I jump to immediately in terms of living the dream, right? Because like some of you know Chuck is somebody who I you know he he did come on the show. He was nice enough to come on the show, and that's great. You know, but I wouldn't say we were pals. You know, and and I it's it's some some people I've I've gotten to know more than others. You know, but yeah, that's definitely a moment. You know, moving to New York City, you know, running the Paz and Job poll where you're trying to pull in all these critics to do the year end poll, and it's arduous for a lot of reasons. But you are like interacting in some small way with like Grio Marcus or whatever, and you're like, holy shit, like I made it, right? Like it's it's it, it never quite felt whole to me that way, and it's not like we were, you know hanging out in bars or whatever but like it was very cool and it did there was like an i made it sort of overlay to it which was very nice
0: did you ever have anyone that you were uh asking advice to like any writers that you maybe start, you know, uh started to just dis- talk and, you know, to use the word relationship again, maybe incorrectly, but like, was there anyone that once you started kind of going down the road that you would hit up for advice or anything like that, or did you sort of just kind of wing it on your own? And, and that's led, what's uh what's led you here.
1: Hmm. Um, Charles Aaron, it's been, I don't know. If I can think of like a very specific, like I am calling to ask you how to sure. handle this situation. Like I need advice type thing, but there's a lot of people who I even subconsciously, you know, I realized now I was trying to emulate, right? Like the, the integrity that they had and the respect, you know, that they engendered in everybody, their fellow editors, their writers, readers, you know, everyone seemed to like them. Everyone seemed to respect them. You know, I want to be like these people. This is the kind of career I want to have, you know, and I want to be this kind of person. You know, and Charles springs to mind immediately is someone who I emulated in that way. You know, Rob Tannenbaum, uh, who was at Blender, I think, for a time and is just he's he wrote like he co-wrote with another spin guy, uh, the the MTV Oral History, you know, and he writes a lot for a lot of different places. Like there's there's plenty of writers, authors, editors you know, who I, you know, consciously or subconsciously have emulated this whole time. But I'm trying to think of a time where like I called them up specifically for advice. Like I don't think it was ever that sort of hard coded mentor, mentee type situation. But like I I was certainly looking around, you know, and trying to be like these people. You know? I suppose
0: you know something I wasn't taking into consideration, as I've never been in that line of work for for anything seriously. Is like I I suppose that's what an editor does, right? The editor is there to sort of help you, <laughs> to sort of right. help you guide uh, how to how to handle certain situations. I was curious what uh, if you remember what the first review you gave was.
1: If- right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't exactly anecdotally. I was thinking about this. You know, I interned for my local paper, the Medina Gazette. You know, just a daily newspaper. I the the closest the best guess I can give you is OK Computer is Radiohead's OK, okay Computer. This is 1997 like I'm what I don't remember what month, but like I'm just out of high school, you know, maybe I got to write about that for the Gazette. Or for somebody, I interned at a weekly Cleveland newspaper called Cleveland Scene, and they sent me to a bunch of concerts. I reviewed a bunch of concerts in a row, and one of the first of those was Ween. I went to see Ween, and I was not familiar with them. And they played for like four hours, right? Like it was one of the I did not know what I was getting into. I remember very specific. I was in the bathroom. I was in the men's bathroom at the Ween show, and there was like a little kid. Man, is like five or six years old, and he was doing he wasn't dressed in like karate gear, but he was doing karate moves. Right. Like he was just like, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm standing at the urinal and there's a dude next to me and he's like, that's my son. Came here to see ween. And I was like, Oh my God. And then Ween played for four hours and I wrote like what, 400 words about it. You know? And it's like, I can't even, I can't imagine how I, you know, you know, synthesized all that information when I was 19. But like, yeah, I album review wise. Okay. Computer is my best guess you know my first run of concerts was like this really discordant and like ultra 1998 99 run of like ween big bad voodoo daddy seven dust and Godsmack. uh the new radicals the new is radicals it- came to town uh for like the 10 minutes like that they were a big deal before they deliberately dropped it. yeah it's, it's so weird and random and delightful right those, those were the first i could i could identify you know from that era
0: man you know it's funny it's like i guess it's funny to take into consideration like just throwing out like just throwing a a writer to go see a band like ween where it's like <laughs> ween was like yeah like just thinking about it right now it's like that's like they're like the captain Beefheart of the 90s you know it's like you have they to be, you have to be in to know it's to a like... lifestyle, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a big ass. Like you you have to be a. that's a big ass. You have to be a. Yeah, you have to be about that life. You know, and <laughs> that was clear to me. And it was great. I had a great time. Yeah, yeah You yeah. know, and I did the best I could. But like, I had no idea. Like, I did. I knew them vaguely as like, oh, Beavis and Butthead.
0: Yeah, the push the know, little daisies. Push the
1: little daisies. <laughs> but like, I I was not up on their deal. You know, and I certainly did not expect to be listening to a song called "Poop Ship Destroyer." You know, like three and a half hours into this show, I was like, "I took a friend of mine, I took my buddy Mike, and I turned to him like halfway, three quarters through." I was like, "I'm so sorry, I had no idea. I don't know what I'm doing," but it was great. It was awesome.
0: That's amazing. Um, what about uh, what about interviews? Do you remember the first uh, interview you conducted with uh Oh wait, you know what? You talked about interviewing uh, of your friend's band. Or something like that for babushka babushka uh, yeah but I I guess uh in terms of like for now you're on a payroll staff and you're <laughs> and
1: that you're excited to talk yeah. about <laughs> uh yes the first my first job out of college was at a Columbus alt weekly called the Other Paper and this was summer two thousand and I think one of the first phoners I did, I don't know how this happened was Kim Gordon. Oh wow I think I'm fairly certain it was New York City Ghosts and Flowers for that tour. And they were opening for Pearl Jam, Sonic Youth were. And they the Sonic Youth and Pearl Jam came to Columbus. And I did, you know, the dreaded phoner with Kim Gordon, you know, who was just sitting in a hotel room in Atlanta, like talking to some shit for 20 minutes. You know, i I'd be curious your perspective on the phoner thing. But like, yes, that's the that's the first interview I ever did. You know, and I got through it, and it turned out all right. But like, I never felt comfortable with the knowledge I had that the artist is not enjoying this experience. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, and just they're they're gritting their teeth and getting through it, and I'm gritting my teeth, imagining them gritting their teeth and getting through it. Like, it just it does not lead to a healthy, you know, exchange of ideas necessarily. But that's the first interview I remember. Do you enjoy those at all? Do you, you know, uh, it's the, the, I feel the owner. Like...
0: You know what? I feel like since the since the world turned to Zoom, those are done. I can't think of the last
1: over the right, phone yeah.
0: interview that I've done, but I do remember me, me one. Yeah. I remember one specifically. It was in Toledo. I'll tell you that. Oh yes, where we were about. Jewel of... <laughs> we were <Sorry>. about. <laughs> we were about to go to Australia for the first time, so. I'm sitting in our van in Toledo and our publicist at the time was like, we set up four or five back-to-back phoners with these Australian outlets. That's that's what I thought
1: too. It's like, I'm the fifth person you're talking to. I'm asking you the same questions. Right. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Which is very (laughs) possibly what happened. Cause I feel like, yeah, Yeah. I feel like publicists are always very like, they're overly concerned about your time, which is kind, you know? So they're like, we're just going to do this. Can you devote an hour to
1: just, Get it all out of this. the way at once.
0: Exactly. And uh, I will say, I guess from my perspective, if that's, you know, if you're curious, I think that it depends on the energy of the person you're talking to and the thoughtfulness of the questions. But there are the times right. where you, you're clearly talking to somebody who uh, drew the shortest straw to, <laughs> to, yeah, to take yeah. and they're and they're asking you questions that are just, what does your band name mean? um are you excited to come to australia (laughs) like things you're just like you didn't put any. (laughs) no
1: right yeah right i interviewed a dude from interpol once i interviewed the guitar player from interpol as part of that job at the alt weekly in columbus and i cringe to think about it now because like i asked him about the suits i asked him (laughs) about the comparisons to joy division you know I asked them like five the five questions everyone asked interpol in 2001 and he just he answered them but I can just picture the look on his face now answering he just the fucking
0: head questions and hands just from the bill yeah exactly ye- yes like, we oh, like oh my division yes yeah <laughs> exactly yes this is intentional. Uh, but uh <laughs> hey, I mean, they were just starting out. But, you know what? I feel like every band, yeah. every it's a point of uh of growth. And I th- it, this in the same way every band needs to sleep on floors. Every band needs yeah. to uh, tour in a shitty van, and every band uh, in Toledo, to, yeah, yeah, and every band needs to be asked very generic questions for the first two years of their career, and just suck it up. Rite of passage. It's a rite of passage, exactly. Um, so uh, what, do you remember the fr- I mean, this is, you know, we, we've talked now about like reviews and, and uh, these different magazines you work for, but I was wondering if you remember the first time you remember being published and like how that felt. Was that like a, a monumental moment for you where you saw your name on the words and all that in, in a physical <laughs> form?
1: It was, it was, you know, and it's the progression there would be, you know, the high school paper, which I don't think counts, but it's like, I had a poem. People can read a poll on my road. It's like, oh God, I, I don't, I, I hope I didn't say that. Uh, to then, you know, the daily paper, you know, in my suburban town, you know, to the Alt Weekly, you know, the Ween Review. I remember the Ween Review. Somebody wrote like a pissy letter to the editor and my parents read it. And my mom was like, I'm really worried about you saying this. Like, if somebody wrote something mean about you and I'm sorry, you know, this Aww. is gonna I was like, it's fine, mom. It was very sweet. Uh, but yes, like every time... Seeing myself in print, you know, like I remember college newspaper, right? Like I was a columnist, a weekly columnist, the college newspaper, and I have such this, this pompous memory of like sitting in the the front room cafe, you know, in the morning, and everyone surrounding me is reading, you know, the student newspaper, and I'm sitting there with my vanilla coke or whatever. It's like people could be reading me right now as I sit. Do they do they know that I am among them? You know, like this is excellent. Yeah, like, so so yes, I always had that moment, you know, and once I start working at it all weekly, right, like I can remember saving everybody did this pretty much, but saving each physical paper, you know, as we publish them, right? And so after a year or whatever, I have this giant stack of fifty two plus physical newspapers, you know, at my because I we didn't have a website basically, you know. Right. And so but and so the physical aspect was extremely important to me. Yeah. And it's funny also to think that like, I don't, you know, my wife has some of them. My wife saved a lot of those old papers, but like I didn't, you know, and it's you assume that it's going to be, you can read yourself forever, right? Like you're going to be on the internet forever, you know, and that's it, just not the case. You know, so many of the places that I grew up writing about for the first 10 years plus of my career, like it's, some of it is online. A lot of it isn't. You know, physical copies of alt weeklies—like nobody saves those. Obviously, like it's—it's it's weird how ephemeral it actually was versus how permanent it seemed to me in the moment. But like seeing my name in print, ruled, man, absolutely.
0: Oh, that's awesome! I love that answer. Um, I know you did. Uh, I know you did college radio, and I was curious because <laughs> I, I have—I have a question here of like first podcast experience. But um, I mean, I have yeah. to imagine that the radio experience uh it led you towards <laughs> being comfortable enough to do the the podcast thing right what was what was your uh what do you, what do you remember of your really i mean you talk you know uh, often about the radio experience but like was that something that uh you really fell in love with doing and looked forward to doing and how long did that run last and yeah what do you remember most about that time
1: Again, that's not a connection I ever made, though it's completely logical. You know when I started podcasting, I didn't think, well, I've done college radio, so therefore I'll be all right about this. I loved college radio; it was my favorite thing that I did in college by orders of magnitude, and like i what was weird about college radio is this is nineteen ninety six to two thousand and you couldn't hear us. You could only hear us. it was cable radio, you had to be hooked up to your cable in your <laughs> dorm room, which virtually nobody was. web radio did not exist in anything at all. It's certainly not in the form we know it today. So you understood that you were talking to yourself, right? Like I it's I and I can remember being on the air and being nervous and like treat you know, being not serious because we were ridiculous and goofy and like stupid, but like taking it seriously to the point where like people can hear me, but they can't, you know, and I knew that in the back of my head. But I loved it. You know, my buddy Jeff and I had like a morning show, right? Like three days a week, three hours you know was it 9 maybe it was 7 to 10 i think it was 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. you know and we 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 just play records CDs and then just just bullshit like and just like play little clips from like you remember Space Ghost Space Ghost the colon yeah, the like yeah, they had yeah. like they had like comedy albums you know we would play little clips from that and, like just terrorize people it was ridiculous but i loved it <laughs> yeah. you know but i it's it's funny i i, I never thought you know i did that And most of the people who I was on college radio with, like wanted to be DJs, you know, went on to careers in radio, whereas I didn't, you know, from then I was print, entirely print for 20 plus years. And even when I did start doing a podcast and like you, it was a pandemic thing, right? It was mid to 2020. I never made that connection, you know, college radio to now, it seemed like such a different animal. You know, I was a different animal, but like that, the, the connective tissue there is 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 obvious. But I'd never thought of it that way. But I loved college radio absolutely, uh-huh. even though no one ever heard me. I,
0: it's when you told when you first talked about that experience, I related to it so much. The the my first inter- iteration of any of this was there was a I got convinced to host a show on a radio station that was only an app <laughs>
1: like like okay
0: you can only listen to it and also it's not it's not like archived so you can only listen to it in the present moment when it's on the oh, app no. it was just like the, real time yeah so i felt that the same good. way where i was just like i don't think anyone's <laughs> ever listened to me on this because yeah. yeah i'll yeah. post i'll post about it and everyone be like oh when can i listen to it it's like it's already done it, it already happened now it's, yeah yeah <laughs> um that's amazing uh was i don't know if i know this was uh, is 60 songs the first podcast that you've ever hosted or did you ever do anything before
1: this oh totally it's the first one i've ever hosted you know the ringer obviously has had you know a robust podcast empire from the very beginning you know and i would guest on those shows right i can remember doing just guest you know 10 minute spots like on the baseball show in like cleveland's was doing something you know or the watch like just talking about some tv show or another but those were my first podcast experiences just sort of dropping in and like the awkwardness of right that like uh, like, uh, you know i'm cutting them off it's like oh you talk like uh, uh like i just the the awkwardness and just the i didn't have a rhythm at all right and so it was it was fun but it was also mortifying in its way but like i got a little better at that i guess like i guessed it a few times on you know the new york times podcast that john caramonica hosts that's obviously a, a big deal and like i did that a bunch of times you know and just just guesting on other people's but this is the first thing i've ever done on my own for sure yeah
0: well that's amazing you've uh you've you've done a great job you've done a truly great job <laughs> well thank uh, you man yeah no that's... problem uh, I I it's funny we were talking off mic before we started this for to for the inside baseball of listeners we talked about some questions that I I had pre- I had sent to to Rob to kind of have an idea of of what I was going to be talking about but now I have a list of things that at like two a.m. last night I was like I just wanna, I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna write out some questions going through the episodes you know like looking through the episodes that's the what I want so to, to, to I want to the of... two
1: a.m. ruminations <laughs> yes so hit um, me okay so Stop in. yes
0: so just sort of for, uh, i think i might have put this in an email to you originally when um i think it was chris ryan who was kind enough to to connect us but um yeah yeah i have been i was a fan of uh rewatchables and and chris and and uh and sean and all of them and so then when i saw sean Fennessy post that he was a guest on the pan on a pantera episode my friend was like sean listens to pantera <laughs> i have to listen to this so so yeah so that was the first yeah. episode that was the first episode i listened to oh and, wow and that's
1: the longest episode i've ever done pantera i don't know why that is but it is so as a kid who's so, so
0: so I used to play guitar as a, as a kid. So like I was in guitar, I play guitar in band. Mm-hmm. So like hearing your entire intro about you know, the guitar, about guitar world magazine, the tablature and like all of this mm-hmm. stuff and the, the Godzilla soundtrack references, all of these references <laughs> were just like hitting home so hard where I was like, this yes. is, uh, you know, um, you, I don't know if you realize like how much connective tissue there is to so many people within our age group. So anyway, what I'm getting at is, yeah. uh, is, well, after I finished that episode, I then literally went to episode 1 and just
1: oh wow the way that's got to be that's a whiplash right there. <laughs> First of all, like episode 1, it, it, pan, the Pantera episode is like literally 10 times longer than Absolutely. The, uh, the Alanis, episode, Alanis episode, That's hilarious. Exactly. That's so
0: so I wrote here uh so so I wrote here uh I wrote um how hard uh how hard is how hard was it landing on having you ought to know be the first song when you had this idea for it? Like did, were you going back and forth on a few different tracks or, and was the fact that maybe like jagged little pill is one of those records that I think like, I would be curious to see what the, if there's like, I'm sure there's an article somewhere, but like most singles
1: from a nineties record, you know, I feel
0: like jagged little pill had like seven, oh God. you know, no, it was
1: bonkers. Right. And it's like 10 million, like, you know, diamonds. Like, yeah, that, yes. Um, there wasn't, I don't think I ever debated it, but it wasn't like, it has to be, you want to know, right? Like I just right. sort of organically, like you start out, right. It's like, oh, we're going to do a podcast about 90s song. The first thing you do is make an arduous Google doc of 90 <laughs> songs. Right. And I just, right. I took that way too seriously. Of course, like went year by year and like suddenly I have like this, this doc with like 200 songs in it. And I'm like, Oh my God. And, but it's the three that immediately emerge, And they're the first three episodes in order where, where you ought to know, then the gin blossoms, uh, uh, Hey, jealousy. And I think Hanif Durakib was the guest for that one. And I think he suggested it. Like, so that one immediately, like the guest is driving it to some degree and then cream and then the Wu-Tang clan. Right. And I think that what I want to immediately get there is like, to establish that, like we're gonna try and spread it out, right? Like we're gonna try and cover as much, as many like, genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah you know, because there, like, there's a very obvious sort of ringer core vibe. You know, it's like Bill Simmons as Pearl Jam. You know, in in, in his podcast, right? Like, I, I think there is, I think there are bands, artists, songs, albums, movies, etc. That like you think of when you think of the Ringer or Grantland or whatever. And like, we we certainly want to fit within that, but try and push beyond it, you know, or beyond like the core of it as much as possible. And so I'm trying to remember exactly, I think Alanis, as you say, was like, that's one of like, I mean, objectively, that's one of the best selling records of all time. Right. And I think you're, I'm sure you're right that like more, there's probably records like officially with more singles released but like I you, you you're hard pressed to think of more nineties records with like five, six songs that were like huge hits and even of in and of themselves, right? And so I think Alanis is like, let's start with a big one. Totally. Right? You know, and and and, and that made perfect sense. And I, my first guest ever was Amanda Dobbins, who was my editor and you know, obviously co hosts the big picture at The Ringer and and it's 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 I think she that's one that she really wanted to talk to as well. So it 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 was as much driven by what she was comfortable with as anything. But like it 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 made sense to start with. You want to know, you know, if you're thinking about like the quintessential '90s song, you know, that's a strong candidate.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I was curious even when it came to selecting guests and things like that, and how often uh, it's. Hey, I want to talk about this band you pick the song or how often you pick the song and then hope that they're just down to talk about it in general.
1: The song doesn't really matter for the interview, right? Like the format of my show is I write out, you know, and deliver like a monologue, right? Like I, it sounds so pretentious, but I think that's the only word. And then the end of the episode is like a 15, 20 minute interview with the guests bringing in some other perspective. And so I've already discussed the song at great length. And so that frees up me to talk about whatever I want or they want, right? Like the Tupac episode, for example, was California Love, but like the dude didn't really like the song California Love. And we just sort of laughed for a few minutes about how like, yeah, I never go back to that. Like it's just, it's so overrated or overplayed or whatever. Like the song itself, doesn't matter. You know, there's been plenty of times where I've wanted to have a guest on and they push me toward a particular artist, Karina Longworth, uh, who does, you must remember this, the great film history podcast. Like I really wanted to have her on and she sort of pushed me toward Jane's addiction. You know, she was like, I really want to talk about Jane's addiction. I'm from Los Angeles, et cetera, et cetera. And like, there's a chance I would have gotten around to them eventually organically, but like I did that, I did that episode because that's what she wanted to talk about. And I'm really glad I did. Like, I really like those moments, you know, where I go somewhere that I wasn't myself necessarily inclined to go and like i'm glad that i got outside my own whatever comfort zone you know but like the song itself there have been plenty of times like i just i did just did torn natalie and ambruglia's torn and like right. which was more about like the history of that song and like all you know that's a cover and it's like a cover of a cover of a cover of a cover so just the history of like that song being written and then played by all these people and then i had on sophie b hawkins uh, right. I don't, damn, I wish I was your lover. Another yeah. great, like early nineties, like what the fuck is this, this rules song. And like, I talked to her about that song, but she didn't care about the song at all. Right. <laughs> right. She, she was vaguely aware of torn and of Natalie and Bruglia, but like she, Sophie wanted to talk about Sophie and that's great. Like, that's awesome. Like there's yeah. enough connective tissue there where I can make it work, but I don't need the inner, the person I'm interviewing to like do the heavy lifting of like really going in on this song or even necessarily the artist, right? Like I, sure. I try and just let them talk about whatever they want to talk to.
0: That makes, yeah. And that makes all the sense in the world. Um, the few mutual friends that we've had that have been guests on the show, it, it also feels like great timing too. Like Dan Ozzy literally lives two blocks away from me. I see this right, oh, And of I, course- I see yeah. this man often so uh, So yeah have, you know, Sellout comes out you have him on the Blink Episode like yeah that's yeah.
1: a That was a much more logical like And we we're like what do you want to do you know It's like it could have been Green Day obviously You know it could have been some other band that wasn't Even in that book you know but it's on Theme but it's like no that made perfect Sense and like yeah that was one of the more Rational <laughs> I like it this yeah, is why yeah. I'm talking to you About this right now situations and those are nice too but i do enjoy the totally random ones as well
0: totally all right so strap in i wrote this uh, i wrote this out uh the show feels like (laughs) the show feels like a love letter to childhood discovery hanging out and being a kid you often reference hyper specific moments of hearing songs for the first time have you ever found uh have you ever found that the more specific you've gotten with sharing your memories the closer your audience has connected with you Um, I thought of that because I coming from a lyric writing standpoint, there are times when Mm. writing lyrics, you might reference something hyper specific, maybe a specific moment maybe you're dropping a reference of a record, maybe you're um, talking about a street in your neighborhood or whatever, and you think no one's going to be able to connect to this. But then it comes to find out that the more hyper-specific you get, the more people do actually connect to these things. And I'm curious if with the feedback that you've gotten from your show, that's something that you've
1: realized. I think that's absolutely true. You know, I this show is by far the most feedback I've ever gotten, right? You know, in, in terms, know, that's sort of anecdotal in a way, but like DMs, emails, you know, just social media stuff this is by far the best you know the most reaction i've ever gotten and i didn't go into the show thinking i'm going to talk about myself all the time and i'm going to tell you about you know the first time i heard you know goldfinger or whatever but i just organically over the course the lifetime of the show i found exactly what you're saying you know it's like i'm from cleveland and i'm like. I find myself talking about like Cleveland's venues, Cleveland radio stations, just shit that you have no idea about if you don't live in Cleveland, if you didn't live in Cleveland in the mid nineties, like, as you say, there's no chance anyone could connect to this, but I guess it's the same idea as songwriting, right? Like the more personal you get, what hopefully happens, it, it inspires them, the listener, to think about their own personal experiences, right? And you're just sort of sharing you know, you open that door for them, you know, even if your memory and their memory have nothing to do with each other and share no specifics, which often, mostly they don't, right? But it's just somebody else talking about their hyper-specific memories leads you to think about your own, you know, and that's a pleasant experience, of course, and then you associate that pleasant experience with the guy talking about whatever the fuck he's talking about. Like, that's the idea, absolutely, because it is, like, I cringe at the word monologue, but that's what it is, but it's just it's funny to me to take a step back and realize that's what I'm doing. Right. Like I'm just, I'm writing 8,000 words, you know, about like going to see a rage against the machine concert in Akron, you know, in 1996, you know, and then trying to toilet paper a mailbox (laughs) afterward. And it's like, why is this of any interest to anyone at all? And it's the, the answer is that, you know, the, the ideal response that a listener has is to think about their own show that they went to at that time and they own the, the, the stupid thing that they did after that show, like all of that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the same principle. I imagine I couldn't say for sure as songwriting on your level, but like that's, that's, that wasn't what I was going for consciously when I started, but that's certainly what's developed, you know, and, and what seems to be why this show, you know, gets the mo- way more response than I've ever gotten, you know, reviewing Lana Del Rey records or
0: whatever. Right. And well, it makes total sense to me too. And that's, you know, you develop a relationship with your listeners, whether you're a podcaster, you're in a band, whatever it is. Parasocial. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's so funny. I think one of the things when I'm telling, when I'm blabbing to somebody about how they should check out your show is, is I'm saying, you know, I like one of my best friends, for example, he got into the show and he was like telling me which episodes he's listened to. And I'm, and he's scrolling and I'm like, I'm noticing he scrolled over some episodes of songs that this pro- man, this man probably has no relationship with, and and I was like, I was like, right. you should still listen to that because I guarantee you there's going to be a reference in there that is still, ge- you know, it's like there's often episodes that starts you're like ten minutes in you're like, I don't understand how there's going to be a connective tissue between what <laughs> how we're gonna get from this to this, but I'm in, you know, yeah. and then you yeah. you know that's kind of the fun journey. I, I forget which episode it is, but I mean the fact that all of the there's like an episode with a lot of Goldeneye references and that brought me back to childhood sunny of, day
1: real estate oh
0: that makes all the sense there you go
1: obviously yeah, yeah. it makes total sense to yeah. talk about Goldeneye <laughs> at great length in a sunny day real estate episode yes
0: this is uh i admit this is pretty similar to kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of the show with uh the open-mindedness of your youth but i wrote one of the things that i appreciate about the show is how open-minded you are about popular music when you're super young uh, music is just exciting and you don't belong to a tribe or identity but once you're a teenager you be you know you become a punk or you become a goth or you become like a hip-hop kid or something Um, But the way you speak about like Shania Twain, Outcast, Pulp or Santana with Rob Thomas, um, (laughs) I'm just curious, like, you know, you talk about it with such joy and such affinity or aspects of it with such joy and affinity. And I'm curious if you have always maintained that open mindedness or if these songs came back around to you with a level of importance at different points in your life.
1: I would hope that I was open-minded. I like to think that I was open-minded as a teenager, but as you know, on account of being a teenager, I don't think I really was. Like, I think about the grunge killed hair metal thing. I don't know if "myth" is the right word, but the idea that like w- Winger was on MTV and then Nirvana was on MTV and then Winger fell off the planet Earth. Like, what I I I don't remember consciously being embarrassed that i loved death leopard after nirvana came out right like i don't think i had the feeling of like renouncing my old lame self you know like i think i was at least that open-minded but i i don't think it's hard to tell if you listen to the show that like the most teenage feelings and memories episodes of the show are like meat and potatoes grunge, right? Are like, you know, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails. You know, like if if I just, dis- Pavement, if I reel off for you, like my top 10 favorite bands when I was 17, like it's it's a fairly narrow band of human experience, right? And it's not that I didn't like Shania Twain, you know, TLC, you know, like even like, Achy Breaky Heart, right? Like that's one where you're like, oh my God, I gotta, like the Macarena, like I dreaded the Macarena doing it for a long time, like not so much for me as the listener is like, are people going to be so mad that I de facto get the Macarena stuck in people's heads, but I don't think I hated anything or like renounced anything when I was in high school, but it was a fairly narrow, you know, I was an alt rock kid. I was a Midwestern alt rock kid. I went to college. I was a Midwestern college rock kid. Right. And I'm spit out into the world, you know, in the year 2000 doing phoners with Kim Gordon, you know, and it, it's time to like cover the gamut. Right. And like the, the process for the next 20 years is me broadening my horizons ever so slowly. But I those episodes that you mentioned, you know, like Shania Twain, Selena uh you know i i listen to plenty of rap but like i wasn't a rap first kid you know the way like i read people and it's like they lived hip-hop they grew up with it they grew up with hip-hop the way i grew up with alt rock like there's a difference you know i'm never and i'm i'm trying to be respectful of that like i the chronic was everywhere in 1992 but like not in my bedroom right and there's a difference there's, there's always going to be a difference. But I do think that one of the joys for the show for me is like doing those deep dives into things that I know a little bit about, but I do not know them on the intimate level that I knew, you know, Siamese dream or whatever, right? Totally. Like, and that's, yeah. you know, that's getting out of my own head and out of my own fairly narrow teenage experience is like one of the joys of this show for me. And I, I it's finding that tone. And like being respectful and like being respectful and like celebrating this music, but like acknowledging that like I wasn't living this at 12 years old the way maybe you were. And like I respect enormously that you were and like your experience, your relationship with this music is going to be totally different from mine. Like I can't I can't build that now as a 40 year old, but I can try. You know, and I and, and that's what I'm trying to do and sort of sort of navigating that gulf. But like, that's one of the joys of the show for me is to like rebuild my teenage self as like a cooler and broader minded person.
0: How we all wish we can do that, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I love that. That's great. Uh, OK, and then this is something I was thinking about as someone uh, who preps interviews as well. But like when you're prepping an interview. Uh, how much discovery do you have and do you find yourself going down rabbit holes uh, and getting a bit overwhelmed? Like, for the last guest I just had was Matt Pryor of the Get Up Kids, right? And, like, I always yeah, love the Get yeah, Up yeah. Kids and, like, the, you know, when I was getting into the emo stuff and whatever, so I'm prepping that interview and I'm like, wait a minute, he was in this band that did the or, like, finding out that Bob Weston produced 4 Minute Mile, like, the super pop punk record. Like, what? Bob Weston of fucking shellac at, like
1: what i didn't like, know that dude yeah exactly
0: so now all of a sudden i'm like well what yeah. other like why would bob weston have done this and now i'm reading about bob weston for 45 <laughs> minutes like and i'm curious if like if you end up going down those holes and like if it do you ever get overwhelmed or does that just kind of further the excitement of the process
1: I definitely get overwhelmed, but ideally that furthers the excitement, right? Like it really does break up into like week or two week blocks, right? Like this, I'm in my Macarena era, you know, and this manifests both in what I'm sitting and listening to like in the privacy of my own office, but like driving my kids to school, you know, my kids are like, are you doing a podcast about this? I'm like, yes, (laughs) you know, and it's like just terrorizing my wife with it around the house. Like I have like these deep dive discography, you know experiences that last a week and like or two weeks three weeks and I'm sort of immersing myself and it's as much about like a general sort of pretentious vibe as it is about absorbing like specific lyrics albums songs whatever right like I'm just I'm just trying to get in the mindset you know to then go and write you know 9000 words about Pantera or whatever Pantera you know like going back to the very beginning of Pantera right like the the disavowed glam metal 80s years Right, which is an entire separate discography and like that's a band that would be an example of a band that like i knew and respected and like was kind of scared of in high school but like i didn't know pantera the way like an actual fan did right and so i'm coming at that from from a critical remove from an emotional remove but like really enjoying you know immersing myself now but like no that's what i that's the whole shebang for me right is to go through these very intense periods where it's almost all i'm listening to and then it ends you know and i'm on to tlc or whatever just the 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 whiplash from episode to episode from artist to artist is is part of the charm of it for me
0: that makes total sense uh rob this has been so awesome i'm gonna hit you with the last question which is when was the first time that you felt (laughs) like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards
1: it was when I was at the Ween show and they started playing poop ship destroyer, which I think, I think that's, a, I think that's like, that's officially a punishment song. They only play that song when they're mad at the crowd and it's like a punitive, it's like 15 minutes. I, I, I think I have the right. Um, it's so funny because on one level I've been doing it the whole time. You know, as I said, no, I'm in an orthodontist's office. I'm reading Rolling Stone. You know, I've never written for Rolling Stone per se, but like I want to be a rock critic. You know, that's all I wanted to do. It's all I applied to college to do. It's all I did. It's all I'm doing. So I in a very tangible sense, I've been I've been doing it the whole time, you know, and I've been very fortunate to be doing it the whole time. I do think, as I said, that the reaction that I'm getting from this show you know, and the parasocial, you know, aspect that you talked about, you know, and the conversation and just the responses and the DMs and the emails, things like that. This is all very new to me, you know, and and my whole time, my whole career, I felt like in my head, at least I was building up to something. And like, for me, that's probably still a book, right? Like I just, I picture this moment when I write a book and I publish it and like people do like the unboxing of their books, right? And you just point at it. And it's like, that's that's my book. Like It's your name on the, it's your name in print, you know? It's the ultimate, your name in print, right? Yeah. And that's still, if I'm honest, that's still sort of the goal for me. But this show by far has been the closest I've ever gotten to that. And I do think that that it just comes down to this is this feels like mine. You know, like my producer you know, my editor, Justin Sales has been there the whole time, like I've had an enormous amount of support, but just it, it does boil down to me just talking into a microphone for 500,000 plus words. And it just it feels like mine. It feels personal, you know, and it feels like a body of work with my name on it you know, far and away more than anything else I've done in my career, you know, which I've been fortunate to have. And so I, I do think the answer is like, kind of, I've been doing it the whole time, but I really feel like I'm doing it now. And that's an even radder feeling.
0: That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and just from a, uh, just to, to really let you know, the background here with, with, with my love for this, where like, I, I can remember listening to that. (laughs) This is going to be offensive for people. So strap in. So I, I, uh, we're in Italy on this, on this last European tour at the end of last year. And, uh, there, we were in a venue that they were not having catering and there was ne- no food was really near us. So the closest thing was a, was a Japanese restaurant. So I ate a, Jap- a Japanese restaurant in Italy. So, um, okay. so, so yeah, I should have obviously <laughs> been eating Italian food, but you lived,
1: you yeah. survived. So, yeah. So I was
0: listening to that episode and really, <laughs> and it was like keeping me just in a good place. And then that show continued to sort of uh, keep me entertained and I'm the night drive guy in the U S so I'm doing, I'm doing all the okay. overnight drives or the oh my
1: God that's tough or,
0: or the three hours after the show every night, kind of a thing. And every night I'd, I played, mm. I play an episode, everybody in the band would perk up. Everybody would enjoy it. I think it kept a lot of us sane oh, and engaged God. and uh, just kind of, we're we're the kind of band that everyone usually has their headphones in no one's talking to each other in the band it's just everyone's <laughs> kind of in their own world but that show sure. the show kind of brought us all together in a lot of ways so for all of that i will say thank you Man. for what you do it's been a it's been a pure joy and this has been awesome for me oh
1: that's right to hear i really appreciate you saying that it means a lot that's awesome thank you dude
0: thank you <laughs> And that is our show. Thank you so much to Rob for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Rob answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you next Wednesday. Be good. Take care. Bye bye.